you must be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Don't take my word for it. That's Jesus talking. Jesus talking with Nicodemus, a Pharisee who came to see him one night. From the fact that he was a Pharisee, we know that Nicodemus was a good man, a religious man. We know that he believed in God, that he studied the Bible every day, and that he was very careful about following God's law. John's gospel is the only gospel that mentions Nicodemus. He shows up three times. First here in chapter 3 when he comes to Jesus at night to talk about theology. The second time is in chapter 7 when the authorities in the temple send the police to arrest Jesus and Nicodemus speaks out to defend him. And then the third time is in chapter 19 when Nicodemus brings 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes to prepare Jesus' body for burial. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night to talk with him. John's gospel doesn't give us any idea what is on his mind. All we hear him say to Jesus is, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And then Jesus, in what almost seems like a non sequitur, says to him, you must be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of God, You must be born again. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. That phrase, you must be born again, is very familiar to us. We've heard it hundreds of times, but no one had ever said it before Jesus did. Many times, Jesus uses phrases from the Old Testament. He was so steeped in the word of God that when he opened his mouth, the words of scripture just came tumbling out. But in this case, Jesus decides to coin a new phrase, you must be born again. Some of us here this morning are old enough to remember the election of 1976, Jimmy Carter The Democrat governor of Georgia was running against Jerry Ford, the Republican vice president. And during his campaign, Carter announced to the world that he was a born-again Christian. And while most of us are familiar with that term now, at the time, many journalists were scrambling for their dictionaries to figure out what that meant. It was Jimmy Carter who brought evangelical born-again Christianity to a national, even international attention. And my guess is, is that Carter was surprised by the stir that his announcement caused because he had been raised amongst Baptists in the Bible Belt of Georgia where being a born-again Christian was as common as cornbread. The term born-again Christian has its roots here in John chapter 3. Jesus says, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. There are a lot of things that we can say about God because he is a big and complex God. God is creator. God is lawgiver. God is our strength and shield. God is love. But this morning, I want to focus on the reality that God is life. Everything that is alive, 
Everything that has breath, everything that is born has come from God. God is the source of life. God is the source of your life. And if you are cut off from God, then you're cut off from your source. You're cut off from the sap of your life. And if you are cut off from God, you are cut off from breath itself. You are out of breath. You can hold your breath for a while, but it's not a very good long-term strategy. God is life. I think that's why I love babies. And I'm very grateful to the mothers of this congregation who keep popping out more babies. I love the babies of this congregation. And so I thank you for letting me pick them up and carry them around. They make me feel deeply happy and they make me feel full of life. I'm very grateful to God that the baby boom at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church keeps rolling along. Last night, out in our parking lot, the place was full for our first trunk or treat event. The brilliant brainchild of Susan Clark, who put a ton of work into making that happen. Our parking lot was crawling with babies and children, and the families who love them, our parking lot was full of life, and all of that life came from God. Thanks be to God. I love babies because the life that God gives is so clear and so fresh in them. The troubles and the woes of this world have yet to wear them down, have yet to furrow their brows. They just look out at the world as though it's endlessly fascinating and beautiful, which of course it is, though our old eyes sometimes fail to see it. In his prologue to the Gospel of John, we hear of Jesus that, quote, in him was life. And that life was the light of humankind. In John 14:6, Jesus himself declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our physical lives are unveiled to the world at our birth. But of course, the human child is alive and has a soul during the months while it is being knit together in its mother's womb. Anyone who has seen a sonogram knows that the child in utero is a human being. And that's why we honor and protect the lives of unborn children just as much as we honor and protect the lives of children running around at a trunk or treat event. Life is important. Life is valuable because it comes from God, because it bears the imprint of God's will and design. And in the case of human life, each and every person, born or unborn, bears the very image of God. Physical life, created and given by God, is unveiled at birth, and spiritual life, created and given by God, is unveiled at our rebirth. To see the kingdom of God, to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born a second time. You must be born again. The Bible teaches us that all of the descendants of Adam, any descendants of Adam here? Raise your hand. All the descendants of Adam are born spiritually dead. I know that sounds harsh. 
I know that sounds unkind, but it's what Scripture teaches. All the descendants of Adam are born spiritually dead. And to become spiritually alive, which is a precondition for entering the kingdom of God, they must be born a second time. They must be born again. Jesus says to Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Our first birth unveils our beautiful God-given flesh. It's wonderful. It's valuable. But our second birth, our rebirth, when we're born again, unveils our God-given spirit. To enter the kingdom of God, we must be born again. Yes, it is true that because of the fall, because sin entered this world, all of us begin our spiritual lives with a dead spirit. Our, I'm sorry, our physical lives with a dead spirit. But the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 that God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace we have been saved. That's what it means to be born again. First we're born physically, born in the flesh, and then later we are born or reborn spiritually. Because God is a God of life, he gives life, and he gives new life. He creates life, and even when life dies, he will resurrect life, because God is all about life. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, because that breath has come from God. In our Old Testament reading this morning from the prophet Ezekiel, we have this amazing vision. Ezekiel sees a valley filled with human bones dry as dust. What great battle has caused so many people to die? And God asks Ezekiel, will these bones live again? Now please notice, God does not ask Ezekiel if injured warriors lying on a battlefield, can recover with the help of a medic. God doesn't even ask Ezekiel if warriors, though clinically dead, can be resuscitated with CPR. These dead men don't even have bodies anymore. There's no skin. There's no muscle. There are no organs. All that's left is bones and dry bones. And God asks, can these dry bones live again? Some of us here this morning are facing precisely this situation. Something important in your life is not just sick and wounded. Something important in your life is not just dead. Something important in your life is beyond dead. Is so far beyond dead that all that is left is bones and all that is left are bones that are so dried that there's only the merest memory that there was once something alive there and all of it's long gone. And God asks, can these bones live again? I love the audacity of God. 
Because with God all things are possible. And Ezekiel has the smarts to know that he better not question God. He better not question God's ability to bring life into a situation that is long past the point of even having the least little glimmer of hope. Oh God, you know. That's what Ezekiel says. I don't know. But you know. And then God does what he is so good at. He gives life. He gives life. He gives life and the bones come clicking together bone on bone to form skeletons there in that dry valley. And then the flesh and the sinews and the muscles attach themselves to the bones and they form bodies. And finally the breath of God blows over the lifeless bodies and they rise up and they form a mighty army. That is a vision for us. God is the giver of life. And he is the giver of new life. With God, we don't get only one shot at life. The enemy of life is sin and death. And when sin and death overcome the life that God has given, he will give new life. He will give rebirth and resurrection. That's true in our lives. When I was dead... In my sin and trespasses, God gave me a new life, and I was born again. That's how we become Christians. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That's how we enter into the kingdom of God. But that's not the end of the story, because there's more good news even after that. Once we're born again, once we have entered into the kingdom of God, we are continually, daily refreshed and renewed. Being born again is not the end goal of the Christian life. It's just the beginning. And what follows after we're born again is a constant renewal, refreshing, and rejuvenation as God keeps pouring his life into ours. Today is Heritage Sunday here at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. It is That Sunday when we recognize those members of this church who have been a part of this fellowship of sinners for 50 or more years. We will have a luncheon immediately following this service for those 50-year members. We are a young church and we are an old church. We are a young church. Because we continue to attract and to welcome new people and new families into this fellowship of sinners. Those people provide much of the verve and the vitality of this place. We are an old church. Because we have many members who have faithfully shared this fellowship year after year, decade after decade, growing up and growing old in the company of saints who are as close as family. They provide... Much of the stability and the solidity of this place. I thank God for our new members. And I thank God for our old members. And I thank God that Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church is a place where old and young worship and serve God side by side. Today is also Reformation Sunday. This is the 400... And 99th anniversary of the day that Martin Luther, a Roman Catholic, uh, 
monk nailed 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral, inviting people to contemplate what a refreshing, renewing, rejuvenating movement in the church would look like. Now, the church at that point was a millennium and a half old. It had faithfully proclaimed the lordship of Jesus for 15 long centuries, but there was a feeling that the church needed a refreshing, rejuvenating, renewing breath of the Holy Spirit to stir it up again. And Luther correctly identified the impetus to all Christian renewal in the very first of his 95 theses. Now all of us have heard of Martin Luther's 95 theses. I wonder how many of us have actually read them. I invite you to go home and Google them and read them because they're very illuminating. The very first of the 95 theses is this. Quote, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, in Matthew 4, 17, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. To repent means to turn aside from our sin and to turn to God. To repent means to say to yourself, you know what? What I've been doing is wrong and I need to give that up and I'm going to turn and follow Jesus. To repent means to die to our old self and to live into our new self. All evangelical Christians believe that repentance is part of our salvation. They all believe that you can't be born again if you don't repent and turn to God. But Luther's point is this, that repentance is not a one-time thing. Repentance isn't just something that we do as we're entering into the Christian life. Repentance is the way of life for Christians. The Christian life is a life of ongoing repentance, and that's because sin keeps sprouting up like weeds in the garden of our lives. Yes, people who are saved and on their way to heaven continue to sin. The fruit God wants to grow in our lives, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That fruit will be choked out of our garden if we are not hoeing the rose with repentance. Luther recognized that the way to refresh and renew and rejuvenate our lives is through ongoing repentance. The way to refresh, renew, and rejuvenate the church is through ongoing repentance. Luther's 95 theses led to what we now, in retrospect, call the Protestant Reformation. It's called Protestant because they were protesting certain practices in the church. It's called a reformation because the repentance of the church led to it being reformed or reshaped. In 1674, a century and a half after the beginning of the reformation, Jodicus van Lodenstein, that's a beautiful name. You could name your children Jodicus van Lodenstein. Jodicus van Lodenstein, a Dutch reformed Christian, published a little devotional tract, and in that work he wrote, quote, the church is reformed and always being reformed according to the word of God. 
The church is reformed and always being reformed according to the word of God. That phrase has become a kind of catchphrase or a mantra in reformed circles. It's a very Presbyterian thing to say. If you drop that line at a cocktail party, they'll know that you're Presbyterian. And what I like about that phrase is that it recognizes that the church has not arrived. It recognizes that the church is not finished. It recognizes that the church is not perfect, that it has work to do, that it always stands in need of being reformed, that is corrected and improved, and that it is being reformed according to the word of God. As reformed Christians, we do not think our church is infallible. We do not think we are perfect. We do not think we have gotten everything right. We believe that we can always do better. And the place that we look for how to do better is the word of God. The standard by which we measure ourselves is the word of God. And I think that is right. Here at Huntington Valley... Presbyterian church, we believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God. We believe that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit and that it tells us everything that we need to know for faith and religious practice leading to salvation. And because of that trust in the word of God, the proclamation of God's word on Sunday morning here in the sanctuary and the study of God's word throughout the week in our many small group Bible studies, those are central to our identity. We are people of the word. The word of God makes us who we are. The word of God reforms us. It reshapes us. It changes us. It renews us. Now I have to tell you that I love being a part of this old church. I love this church not because it's old. I love this church because it is old and alive. And generation after generation, this church continues to be alive because the word of God is the beating heart of this place. And that word of God continues to reform us. It continues to reshape us and renew us and rejuvenate us individually and as a congregation. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is alive and active Sharper than any two-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the hearts. When our thoughts and attitudes are revealed in the light of Scripture, that's when we begin to realize our need for repentance. And it is that repentance which brings renewal and new life. God is getting ready to do something new here at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church. It's very clear that all of the pieces are in place. The groundwork has been laid. The commitment is there. This church is pregnant and it's ready to pop. I 
know that this church has seen some great chapters in its long history, but I am delighted that I have been called to this church during this chapter because I'm excited to see what God is about to open up around here. And thanks be to God for his life-giving word because the renewal and the rejuvenation that God has promised to this congregation is going to come through his holy word. On this Reformation Sunday... I want to close by reminding us of the basics of the gospel. Each one of us is born dead in sin. That's just the human condition. Anyone who denies that basic truth not only denies what the scriptures teach, he also denies what the eyes show us all around us. Trouble and suffering caused by human selfishness and hatred and greed and fear. That's just reality. Because God is our creator, because we are not self-created or simply evolved from lifeless sludge, our sin has supernatural, eternal, and spiritual consequences. Those consequences are so big that we cannot deal with them ourselves. So God, who not only made us but also loves us, provided his own solution, namely Jesus Christ, his only son. By faith in Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice on the cross, we can be free from the spiritual, eternal consequences of sin. By faith in Jesus Christ, we can be born again. That initial transformation, which can happen in a heartbeat, which can happen right here this morning, that initial transformation is the beginning of a lifelong journey with Jesus in which we are daily renewed, refreshed, rejuvenated through an ongoing discipline of repentance, of turning away from our old selves and turning toward the new creation that we have become. If you have never had That experience of placing your whole trust in Jesus, I invite you to do that this morning. It will be the beginning of a new life for you. And if you already have been born again, but you feel yourself weighed down by troubles in your life so big that it seems there's no relief, let me remind you That the God who gives you life and gives you new life, that he can cause dry bones to stand up and live. God can completely and totally transform your current situation. I've seen it happen, and I know it can happen for you. Ephesians 3.20 tells us that God can do immeasurably more than all we ask Or imagine. And so we should ask. We should ask God for total renewal and restoration. He can do it. He wants to do it because that's the kind of God He is. Let us pray. Father God, we honor you and we worship you and we adore you this day. And we thank you for your word which stands the test of time. In the midst of all of the changing words and opinions of our age, we pray that your eternal word might find its place in our heart and grow up 
into spiritual fruit. Lord, I pray that you would revive us and renew us and reshape us and reform us. May we be born anew. May we live lives that are ever new in you. To your glory, these things we pray. Amen. 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 And now I'm going to invite you to stand and sing our closing hymn. This one written by Martin Luther. Number 11, A Mighty Fortress is Our God.